This episode of Nomad Athlete Radio is brought to you by MyFitnessPal. MyFitnessPal provides powerful tools that make it easier for everyone to live a healthier life by tracking meals and physical activity. For a limited time, get a premium membership free for three months by going to nomeat.myfitnesspal.com with promo code NOMEAT. This episode is also brought to you by Manly Bands. Manly Bands helps men find wedding bands that fit their personality and their budget with unique and stylish designs. To get 25% off your Manly Band, now through Cyber Monday, go to manlybands.com slash nomeat or use promo code nomeat at checkout. Hi, this is Hope. This is Kareem. Hi, this is Katie from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to Nomeat Athlete Radio. Man, it's been a big week in the in the Hay House. Oh yeah, recovering from your race. Yeah, fully recovered. I would say uh, back at it. A little bit of running. Haven't done anything long or anything like that. But, uh, that's but no, that's not really the reason why. Okay. Um, we have ditched the training wheels on my eldest daughter's bike. Oh, wow. Which uh, was a very big thing. We talked about it for weeks. <laughs> a lot of nerves. Yeah. A lot of excitement. You know, a lot of, I want to do it. But, you know, when we started actually doing it, got a little scared. So, uh, but but she's killing it. She, oh, yeah. Uh, she's, yeah, she can go down the street. Wow. On a slight downhill now. Do you have, have the big falls that you have to have? A couple of falls, but nothing, yeah. kind of, you know, nothing huge yet. Well, somebody suggested that we, uh, like, she wear gloves, which I thought was brilliant. Okay. Because uh-huh. that was good. Because, of course, you know, she falls and braces herself with her hand. And, right. Um, you know, just I think that just not scraping up your hand is a, is right good for confidence. Good. So Yep. So that was, so, that was positive. I'm a little surprised, Doug, that you being the outdoorsman and, uh, you know, just all into the latest and greatest, you know, endurance gear, I would have figured you'd be a, uh, a balance bike parent instead of a training wheels parent. Training wheels just seems kind of old school. Yeah, you know, well, we, we do both. Okay. <laughs> um, we have the balance bike. We've done that. You know, what was interesting about the balance bike, we got that, like, really early, maybe too early, too, like, when she was probably about two years old. And um, and she did not take to it at all. She never oh. want, had any interest in it at all. And then so we decided, you know, at some point she kind of grew outgrew this like tricycle thing that we had had. It was the only type of bike that she had that she would actually use. Um, and uh, and so we got her a bike with training wheels, and she's been cruising on that for a long time. And then just like a month ago, when we started talking about removing the training wheels, she said, "Well, let me try that balance bike again." And so we got that out, and she's, I mean, it like it. A, a flip switch and that's all she wanted to ride and she rode it all the time mm-hmm. all she wanted to do so we she kind of transitioned from the training wheels to the balance bike and is now transitioning back to the big bike with no training wheels gotcha um this is me bragging about my kids but uh <laughs> i've probably said this before because it was remarkable to me my so my son holden has always been like he he's just been this freak at like doing like developmental things like that like i think he rolled over when he was five days old in, <laughs> instead of five weeks old because yeah, my wife is like into this you know pediatric occupational therapy so she knew all the timelines and everything because that was her job um and he actually he actually rode a he got to a bike real bike with no training wheels and he was still in his twos which what? was just astounding to me i know he did we, so he was he went on the balance bike like really really young like probably under one we just had that thing and he just uh-huh. threw it all over the place and then i think he was late in his suit i think it was like maybe 
January or February, um, before he, you know, two or three months before he turned three. Yeah, went, and, and he got on a real bike and started just riding it. Yeah, it was crazy. I think my daughter was not quite the same because I, I at that point I I attributed it to the balance bike. I was like, wow, like this is amazing. Like that everyone has all this stress riding bikes. Like why doesn't everyone just do the balance bike? But then with my daughter, it wasn't quite the same. I mean, she she took longer. Yeah. Uh, so. Eliza has always been, I mean, uh, and no one really wants to listen to us talk about our kids, <laughs> but that's what we're about to do. She's always been really slow to do anything. Like she was really late to walk, but when she decided to walk, it wasn't like she's going to take a couple of steps and fall. It was like, okay, now she can walk across the, the hall or, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and, you know, so she's like always been really slow to do things, but, and, but when she's ready to do it, she jumps right in, and and now the same way with the balance bike, and I think it's gonna be the same way here with the, uh-huh. with the training wheels. So yeah, nothing wrong with that. Good. No, different personalities. Maybe it's just a reflection of or a prediction of the adults they will be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> really timid, and then all of a sudden she'll just yeah, let's go for do it. something big. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Anyway, um, but I uh, if if it if genetics has anything to do with it, then Holden will eventually stop knowing how to ride bikes because i cannot ride a bike anymore like i just can't. like i'm awful <laughs> you're like kind of anti-bike i feel like. I'm, I'm just really bad at like driving things and riding things and for uh-huh. the reason i'm just not not good i don't know but like if i had to get on a bike right now and like go around my neighborhood and like weave in and out of cars and things i would i would literally be afraid like i like really I, yeah i mean like i just can't like i feel like as soon as the bike starts going slow i would start losing balance <laughs> doing the wall you look, yeah, look yeah. like my world exactly. yeah. uh yeah i don't know i'm just and, and probably it's from just not having done it since i was you know in middle school uh-huh. uh yeah i just don't like i don't like i don't like road biking I'm, I'm completely against that i think i think everyone i know gets hurt hit by cars so yeah like, you've uh I've, I've heard you say several times that you're anti-road bike yeah and it just uh, keeps happening yeah, ever since I even since I've started saying that, I, it's not like I had randomly had a bunch of people who got hurt and from then on said it. It's that I started saying it, and and people still keep getting hurt that I talk to who pick up road biking, and I'm like, yep, yeah, I know mm-hmm. that's what happens. Yeah, one of our teammates just recently had a exactly workout. anyone you know who rides road bikes will eventually get in a car accident or have a major major fall and be in the hospital. I don't know. <laughs> I hope not. I mean, that's that's I know, me. I hope, that's I me. That you're too. talking about Matt. I know. I know. It will happen if you stick with it long enough. It will. That's, okay. That's well, a problem. I'm well, hopefully, no time soon. Yes, hopefully not. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, good. Well, yeah, any other well, news? Uh, nothing. Nothing really for me. We're gearing up for. Uh, you're gearing up for the Golden Gate Trail Classic in San Francisco. Yes. You're gearing up for Thanksgiving and holidays and all that good stuff. So yeah. We good. got a lot to talk about, but uh, I don't think we need to go into it right now. No, I think next week we'll do an extended Matt and Doug episode, and we'll go into all the yeah. all those fun things. But today we have a, we have an interview interview uh, with that Matt Tolman is is uh, leading with with Lauren Plunkett, who is a registered nutri- dietitian nutritionist, certified diabetes care and educational specialist, and the author of a brand new book, Type One Determination. She's also living with type one diabetes and. Um, did Arnold Schwarzenegger write write the forward of type one termination? <laughs> determination. Oh, oh, determination. <laughs> oh, I thought I thought it was like we we got to determinate diabetes. That's what it would be. <laughs> no, no, no. Okay. Type one determination, which I think comes out like this week sometime. So definitely uh, go into it or look into it. They talk a lot about the book and about her experience with 
type 1 diabetes and uh, just general health in the plant-based diet. So it's a great one. I'm excited to share it. And um, with that, I mean, should we just jump into it? Well, after we thank our sponsors. Oh, yes, of course. First, let's <laughs> pause for a second to thank our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by MyFitnessPal. MyFitnessPal provides powerful tools that make it easier for everyone to live a healthier life by tracking meals and physical activity. If you're interested in learning about your nutrition and fitness habits, which I certainly am, Doug, while learning about new routines to help get you healthier, which you certainly are, Doug, MyFitnessPlan <laughs> can help. You may think of the app as a way to track calories, but you can also break down ingredients and log activities too. And most importantly, figure out what is working best for you and your goals. It's fully customizable. Within their app, you can choose the right settings to help you meet and easily stick with your individual goals, such as gearing towards low-carb, heart health, macro tracking, and more. With the MyFitnessPal Premium Membership, you get custom tools and expert guidance to help you reach your personal goals your way. For example, the Deeper Nutritional Insights tool helps you discover which foods fuel you best. Plus, you have access to guided daily workouts and a community forum to help each other out. What is really cool about this app, Matt, is that it kind of pulls all the other apps. You know, all the we all have fitness tracking apps. We all have yep, uh, like nutrient and food tracking apps. Like all this different stuff pulls it all in one place. You can see it, see how they interact together, see how mm-hmm. what you're doing when you when you when you're running or working out, how it's impacting what you should be eating, and all that it kind of ties it all together in a way that is is really effective if you're trying to make any sort of big uh, health changes or diet mm-hmm. changes or anything like that. So it's not extra work. It's more that it brings together the work you're already doing, makes it better. Yeah. Well, and and of course it you know recommends you know it it provides a plan and a guide and all that kind of stuff for you to to reach your goals. But uh, but and yeah, pull... that part's work. You gotta actually do stuff to reach your goals. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, generally I'd say that that's how things work. <laughs> you gotta you gotta put in the work in order to. to I'm gonna invent the app that 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 solves that problem. And... Yeah. Okay. <laughs> if you can if you can do that, then. Uh... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, let me know. But until then, MyFitnessPal is the way to go. All right. And for a limited time, get a premium membership free for three months by going to nomeat.myfitnesspal.com with the promo code NOMEAT. That's nomeat.myfitnesspal.com with promo code NOMEAT for a three-month free premium membership. This episode is also brought to you by Manly Bands, who helps men find wedding bands that fit their personality and their budget with unique and stylish designs. You start the process with Manly Bands by getting their Manly Ring Sizer to ensure that it will fit you perfectly during work and play. It includes 26 plastic rings in whole and half sizes from size 5 all the way up to size 20, so you know you're always getting the perfect fit for you, your finger. And fun for kids to have 26 plastic rings right now. <laughs> there you go, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> once once you know your size, then comes the fun part of choosing from their wide selection of materials like meteorite, carbon fiber, gold, and wood. And if you're feeling creative, you can even customize your band from scratch by choosing the style, material, inlay, sleeve, engraving, and finish. You can do it all. You design the whole thing yourself. But what I did, Matt, is I picked the Surfer from the Adventurer Collection. They have all these cool collections, mm-hmm. uh, which has ko- kai kai wood. Oh, gosh. I feel like I messed this up last time. <laughs> I don't know. KOA wood and genuine turquoise built right into the ring. And wow. it is beautiful. I love flashing that did thing you say, out. Did you say meteorite earlier, Doug? I, I did say meteorite, yeah. Is that, do they have moon rocks? Is that, I mean, how are they, how are they getting meteorite? I guess, the, I guess it comes through the atmosphere and lands on the earth. Yeah. And they just kind of collect it and... So they're not, they're not harvesting it from a passing meteorite. The way they're <laughs> I, don't, I don't think they have like... 
big vacuums in there just like sucking yeah. up. No, I think that, I think people are harvesting. I think I think that one of the theories about energy, future of energy, might be harvesting the energy from meteorites in mm. space. Oh. Um, but but Manly Man's is not doing that just yet. I don't. Not, <laughs> I don't think. Not mining. I don't. I don't think they're doing that. Still no. pretty cool though to get that kind of wood and and turquoise and, and this mysterious wood, koa kai wood, whatever whatever it is. Uh huh. Uh, that's a good a good story to be able to tell with your ring on your finger. Yeah, I mean, and it it just looks it looks like a statement piece, you know. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I like a little flair. So if you're ready to step up your ring game, whether you are about to get married or want to just upgrade to a, a a different type of ring, like I did, get twenty five. Percent off your Manly Bands now through Cyber Monday by going to manlybands.com slash no meat and use promo code no meat at checkout. That's manlybands.com slash no meat with promo code no meat for 25% off through Cyber Monday. And with that, let's jump into the interview. Lauren Plunkett, uh, thank you so much for being with us this morning. Um, I am so excited because you have a new book out that is uh, on a topic near and dear to my heart. Uh, While I'm not a type 1 uh, diabetic, my sister is. And so it's been a part of my family for um, 30, 40 years now. Uh, Let's say I was five years old. So all of my life, uh, it has been a, a theme and it has really colored how I think about the world. So I'm really excited to to get into all of these topics, but you're also obviously a, a registered dietitian nutritionist and um, an expert when it comes to sports nutrition, plant-based nutrition, and you being a type one uh, diabetes. So um, with that uh, quick introduction, first and foremost, thank you for being here. I, and, and I'm excited for our conversation. So am I. I'm really excited to be here, Matt. Um, thank you for having me on to talk about this. Um, you know, be, being an author, that is really a challenge. So I'm finally at the point where I get to talk openly about it. Cool. Um, yeah, before we get into the heavier parts of our uh, conversation, um, because your, your, your book, uh, which is called Type 1 Determination, um, you know, there's all these little words around it, like disobedience and anger and frustration. And at the same time, the, I think, um, ultimate, uh, uh, um, ultimately positive place where you've landed and helped your patients uh, to also reach. Um, but before we get into all of that, let's just start with getting to know you personally. Um, when were you diagnosed and, and more interesting to me, how, how did that affect the way you think about food? And I have to imagine lead you into a career. I can't imagine these sort of totally disconnected phenomenon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, uh, I was diagnosed with type one when I was 11. Um, I just started sixth grade. So you can imagine what my priorities were. Had I ever even heard of diabetes? I think I had known one person that had something that they had to take shots for. And so I'm thrown into this world of uh, healthcare and now becoming someone who's part of the U.S. healthcare system, which is the underlying theme of my book and and growing up um, with that. But um, 11 years old, do you think I ever heard of a carbohydrate? Or now that I have to count them, um, you are thrown right into this world where you quickly become obsessed with food. You can't not. You need to know so much about it so that you can take your medications. Um, Food is already life. And now as someone with type one diabetes has to take insulin 
or essentially everything you eat, that connection is a tremendously heavy uh, responsibility for not just you, an 11 year old who's now becoming an adult overnight, having to manage these things. But for my parents also, this was heavy stuff. And there was a lot of education that came with it. And it can be really, really overwhelming. So now um, the way you look at food is a heck of a lot more than just sitting down and eating. Yeah, uh, you said responsibility, I, I would say burden. Um, I mean, it is and then, I mean, it's just, yeah, it's all consuming. Um, mm -hmm. So, so that was the journey help us connect from there to the point where you said you know i i want to be an rd and uh uh you know help people uh get through this took a lot of years of defiance to get there um i was defiant i was super angry um i was listening but i felt like i was never heard i felt like i was treated like nothing more than a medical record number um, there was uh, a lot of judgment. You are treated with this value, um, this assignment, this hemoglobin A1C that tells you what your blood sugars have been doing over time. You're either good or you're bad. And the language around that is talk about mental health. Talk about where that person is and this patient-centered approach. It was not in the room with me, hardly ever. So being within that system and trying to um, imagine working in it, you know, why would I want to ever become a dietitian if I've never met one that I liked? Why would I want to become a registered dietitian on top of a diabetes educator if I was going to be in the very hallways of the people that made me feel terrible about myself? But it isn't their fault. It's kind of like, let's say that you were teaching driver's ed, but you never drove a car. There's going to be a little bit of a miss there. You might, or I should say a lack of connection. It's something where you might be an expert at something, but unless you really do the work, there's going to be a misstep somewhere in that connection with the patient. So at some point, um, many chapters I'll, <laughs> I will condense here, but um, I hit rock bottom. And I woke up and I realized that I needed to embrace my disease. So like the word burden, I try to never use that word. I try to never say things like diabetes sucks or diabetes is too hard or diabetes is such a pain or such a problem or it's making my life hard. I made my life hard by ignoring the fact that I had something that I needed to use to my advantage to become better because that's what chronic disease is. The more we understand it, the more we learn about ourselves. We have an opportunity to learn so much about our bodies. So this huge awakening that I went through after I hit the lowest of lows and kind of just thought, hold on a minute. I know what I need. I need to see some living, breathing examples of people type one that are kicking butt. Where are they? They got to be out there. And um, one thing led to another. And I started seeing that this was real. This was before Instagram. This was before the explosion of being in everybody's business on, on social media. Um, but uh, I ended up looking through a, a cycling magazine and saw these guys with uh, Team Type 1 riding across America. And my mind was blown. And so I made some decisions to change my nutrition. Uh, this is the first place that I'm going to go. And um, the first thing I did was stop eating meat, something that was pushed on me to no end. And the lesson there with type one diabetes is, oh, meat and cheese, there's no carbohydrates. So just, you can eat that in small portions and not take any insulin. So you're taught this, this um, almost this mantra where it's like, carbs are bad, 
taking insulin, you want to take as little as possible and um, meat and cheese is okay because you don't have to take insulin for it. So you, you have this approach where you start thinking, is insulin bad? If my blood sugar moves at all, that must be bad. I'm doing bad. So shame starts to collect. And when I thought, man, I'm going to be real defiant now because I'm going to stop eating meat. But inevitably what happened was I started eating more greens. I started allowing more of the, you know, what everybody thinks of as a healthy food, more salad, um, just trying to do a little bit better there. And what happened was my blood sugar was going low all the time. I had no idea why I was going low all the time. Did some things with my insulin to try to help the process. Ended up going to my endocrinologist. She went, whoa, we've got to drop these insulin values right now. So it wasn't overnight, but it was in a fairly short period of time that I cut my insulin needs in half. I still didn't know why. Still didn't know why. And I had the opportunity to go back to school. Um, not only did um, I have this life awakening, but then I had a career that kind of exploded in my face too. That was actually a, a really in interesting sign from the universe that you're not doing what you're supposed to, Lauren, you better get your act together. So um, did the thing that was the scariest to me in the whole world. And it was to enroll to become, uh, uh, to get my degree in dietetics to hopefully apply to an internship to become a dietitian and potentially become a diabetes educator at the end. And I all did it because I was motivated by revenge. I wanted revenge. <laughs> it's funny that, you know, we all, we all like to, to uh, think of ourselves as being um, immune to those kinds of emotions, you know, and, and uh, that we're all just selfless uh, being set, you know, are motivated by making the world a brighter place, but, but revenge can totally, I mean, the number of investors, um, and others who in my life, uh, you know, I just have in that back of my mind, I'm like, you know, success really is the best revenge. Um, so, you know, um, I, I don't fault you for it all to say, uh, <laughs> So, so my sister is a vegan and her A1C, her blood sugar levels dropped considerably. Her insulin uh, usage has dropped. Um, you know, of course we, we uh, can't say that's going to happen for everybody and, uh, you know, people should work with their endocrinologists and, um, but it is, you know, at least uh, an N of two. Um, and I've heard that from a bunch of other um, people, in fact, I have a cousin, uh, who I was just with this past weekend at a wedding, uh, who also eats a plant-based diet and says when he has the occasional piece of fish, um, he sees that his, uh, insulin, or I'm sorry, his, his blood sugar, uh, becomes more difficult to manage. Um, so, so why is that? I, I don't know if I'm putting you on the spot by, by asking you to get into the chemical science, but do you have a, a running idea? I love that question. I love that question because it really explains where we've gone wrong in the last like 40 or 50 years when it comes to our nutrition recommendations for diabetes and this restrictive approach that we have taken to demonize carbohydrates, which then creates carb phobia and a whole lot of confusion and crash dieting that um, contribute to these immense food issues that a lot of people with type 1 diabetes have. So what really needs to be understood is that when we eat animal fats, there's a saturated fat there that you do not find in plant food. And when we eat a lot of it, it, it does this thing where it clogs traffic in our bloodstream. So as we're eating carbohydrates and we're absorbing glucose, which is our number one source of energy, 
bottom line, there is no argument. Glucose is our fuel. We are not a whole lot different from plants. We get our energy from food. Their energy is from the sun. We break that down into chemical nutrients, vitamins and minerals, and we do something with it. So we've got these glucose molecules sitting in our bloodstream. Now we've got a lot of saturated fat in there. These little traffic particles clogging up the movement of glucose to the cell. And the little taxi that comes along to pick up the glucose is insulin. So if insulin's having a hard time getting through that traffic, our body will signal. So if you're, if you're someone that does not have diabetes and you make your own insulin, your body is saying, make more insulin, make more, make more, make more. Then we end up in this inflammatory state. So that's why we know if we clear that traffic for someone that has prediabetes or type two diabetes, that we can lower A1C and potentially reverse the condition. And they're going to feel like a million bucks once they lower that inflammation, clear the traffic, get the fat out of there. And now they're full of vitamins and minerals and all this beautiful fiber. So that's called insulin resistance when our body isn't working as efficiently as it should. And type one diabetes, insulin resistance is quite common. So the history that I just gave of foods that are low in carbohydrate, that we're told to eat over and over and over again, this meat and cheese and like a list of sugar-free jello and foods like that, there's gonna be vegetables on that list. But leaning in to lots of meat and cheese and higher fat foods are also going to contribute to the resistance in a body with type one diabetes. And that research does certainly exist. And that would be why someone who maybe doesn't eat fish very often eat um, any animal products very often, the minute they do, they may very well notice that the way it hits the gut, the way it's absorbed, the way that fat is deposited, and their body immediately has this reaction like, whoa, not fun. Don't do that to me again. You're going to need a lot more insulin to deal with this. So you're going to see your blood sugar go up really, really quick. You're going to go after it. You may end up taking more insulin than you need to. You're going to turn the corner and come flying right back down if you have type one. So if we eat these slow absorbing carbohydrates, the fiber, the plant food, we end up streamlining our blood sugar so much better. It feels better. We get better results from it. And this is why we have the proof of what athletes can do on plants is they crush it. Uh, I want to get into the athletes and maybe this is the uh, best segue, but th this isn't just relevant for the type one diabetic population in the U S which, you know, un unfortunately is increasing, but not nearly uh, at the rate at which we see type two diabetes. I, I think, what is it like a hundred plus million uh, in the U S alone are um, pre-diabetic uh, and, and most of them are undiagnosed, I think is, is the, the right. unfortunate mm -hmm. part, um, which makes sense, right? Because if you look at, 42% of the country being obese, right? Like 10% of those being morbidly obese and what 72% obese or overweight, you know, all of that clogging that you mentioned is leading to the insulin resistance. So it, it is your recommendation to all individuals, uh, a low fat diet as a result? I think what I would ask, and we all people, benefit from, from this, yeah, right? It's like, if it works I, for the extreme, <laughs> does it work for the norm? Imagine what would happen if you did. I think that's a great question is if you have tried every diet under the sun, you are a cereal dieter. You've yo-yo your, your diet has yo-yoed. Um, this could be someone that's just looking for weight management. We could be looking for an athlete that needs that 5% edge. If you have tried every biohack on the planet, except for cutting out animal products, 
maybe we need to look to the obvious answer and let's dive in. So look at where we are right now. If there's anything we have learned in the last year and a half of what we're dealing with, it's we need to eat for our immune system. We need to eat so our body works efficiently. Our bodies are pissed. They are constantly fighting things because of food. And that is 100% in our hands and our own decision-making to eat for our body versus against it. And what we've been taught from, you know, like the, the fighting with, um, cut the sugar, no, cut the fat, you know, this constant like argument and science that goes on between sugar and fat, it leaves everybody confused. It leaves everybody thinking, well, I'm just going to crash diet or I don't want to eat anymore at all, which I hear people say all the time. I'm just so sick of this conflicting information. Everybody thinking they're an expert. What am I supposed to do? And if we just break that down to the very simple concept of, well, let's look at which foods grow out of the earth. Let's look at where the majority of vitamins and minerals are. By the way, you can get protein from plants. By the way, this is anti-inflammatory. By the way, we can improve our soil quality. And there's a mental health connection to the improvement in our gut. And that directly comes from the breakdown of these fermented fibers. It's so obvious to me in that science when what I look at is correlations between systems. It's brain health to endocrinology. It's gut health. It's our emotional health. Um, these are the things, if we start to correlate this entire system and look at what really inflames the body, you cannot blame a plant for nearly any of that. So that's what we should really be leaning into. Um, so a couple more questions, just purely out of curiosity, and then we can uh, talk more more broadly. Um, you mentioned slow carbs are, are, are a good thing. Um, we can all assume that like, you know, refined carbohydrates, sugar, I think that's, that's not good for, you know, uh, both type ones and probably everyone else. Um, where does protein fall? Because I think, um, for, for, uh, yeah, it's certainly in vogue today to criticize excess levels of, of protein, perhaps any protein. I mean, you know, you look at different, um, cancer studies and the like. And, and so obviously that's part of why I think the, uh, mainstream, um, uh, or the conventional, uh, wisdom says, you know, push meat and, and the like, because fat and protein doesn't spike your insulin levels, quote unquote. Um, so what, what is your take on, on protein and optimal levels? So are we talking about specifically, with a body that is, um, doesn't make any insulin. Or are we talking about an athletic body or a person with diabetes that also is an athlete? <laughs> yes. All of the above. Um, yeah. okay. So this is funny. <laughs> I, so I was at VegFest all day on, on Sunday, just a couple of days ago. And I was speaking about plant-based nutrition and the benefits for chronic disease. And then I'm at the table answering hundreds and hundreds of questions all day, just hit left and right. It's super challenging and super energizing. And um, I was in a conversation with a number of, of athletes that have really great questions and they tend to just be missing these little components. And they certainly had questions about protein. They had questions about recovery. I talked to a marathon runner who's super fast and and um, it was just really fun to put some really quick pieces of the puzzle together within just a couple of minutes of talking. And the protein conversation is really interesting in plant-based nutrition. And my first question is always, do you know how much you need for the body that you're trying to create or the body that you currently have or where you're trying to go? Because that's what we first have to establish is you're unique. 
your activity is unique, your duration, your intensity, it all matters. And this is the same question I'm going to have for someone with diabetes is where are we? The only difference with someone that has type one diabetes is I'm going to look to see what our protocol is so that we can time insulin more efficiently so that we're not going low so that we're sleeping well. So the thing about diabetes is that it's a partnership. You are the athlete first who happens to have type one. You're not a diabetic. You're not any of these labeled things, you're a human being first and diabetes is a partnership. And by the way, the more you understand how your body works on insulin, the more awesome you're going to perform because you can totally use diabetes to your advantage when you know how well your blood sugars work. So the question again, protein, do you have any idea how much you actually need? And almost no one I talk to does. They go, well, I try to, you know, have some with each meal and, and then I'm doing a supplement here and there and da, da, da. And then I'll say, do you know that there's such thing as eating too much? Your body will not use more than it can handle at one time because we don't store amino acids like we do with glucose. And I just see this, you know, whoa, yeah, we don't store those suckers. We got to pee them out. They're kind of toxic. We can't have all that amino acid on board. So we get rid of it. That's where we start. Here's how much you need to perform well and recover. What else do we need to talk about? So I get in, I get into the protein conversation as directly as possible and I get out of it, but it's in sports nutrition research. What blows my mind is that this is out there. It's not hard to find. Um, there are some great guides in sports nutrition that will tell you 20 to 25 grams of protein at one time is classically the highest amount that our bodies can utilize at once couple hours later, once we've worked those amino acids, depending on how heavy your load is, you can probably handle more protein, but it's going to depend on the person, female, male, how hard we're going, your body weight, all of that needs to be factored in. And that's why if you really want to know how much protein you need, you should probably talk to a sports dietitian and not men's health magazine, not bodybuilder.com. Um, because it's more complex than that. And you deserve it. I, that's why we say to athletes, you deserve to know way more way more than that and get it down to individual needs. Um, and then we find out what sources of protein are going to benefit somebody the best. And I always go into the low inflammatory area. Um, and uh, that's where we go from there. And fluid also fluid on top of protein. I always say those are the two that go together real well. Um, we'll probably get back to protein. It's, you know, the, the topic du jour for <laughs> this day and so many days previously. Um, but, but just to close one loop for, for those living with diabetes. And like you say, I, I, I fall back into saying a type one or a diabetic, but uh, I am a fan of saying, uh, you know, someone living with diabetes since that's not, you know, a definition. Um, Thank you. Thank for you for living, saying that. <laughs> yeah. For those living with diabetes. Um, so, so to you, protein doesn't have an impact on, on blood sugar, quote unquote, it, it's more so the removal of animal products that has to do with the removal of saturated fats. That's what is stabilizing. Cause again, this isn't just relevant to those living with type one or type two diabetes, which is like one out of three of us today. Um, if not more, uh, but also all of us, right? Like, you know, managing our blood sugar, um, uh, even if you're not living with diabetes, you know, like you say, it's, it's just, trying to treat your body with respect, making sure your pancreas isn't over producing mm -hmm. insulin and constantly required to do so. Um, so that's why I'm curious to you. Protein doesn't play a role in that. It does. 
actually. Yes. So there's def there, there's research out there about this. It's a, it's difficult to define what you should be doing with your insulin, but it's something to know that. And and the thing is, is this what intertwines with just the standard recommendations for how much protein you should be eating at one time and no more of, because if you eat too much protein or fat at one time, it can elevate blood sugar. Why? That's, that is the question. Why is it doing this? Well, we're eating too much of this. And what can happen is I always describe the cheese pizza. This is one thing that a lot of people with diabetes will be like, ah, pizza is the worst. Now I say, well, do you have any idea how much cheese is on even one slice of pizza? It's above and beyond what you might really expect if you see it being made at a pizza place or you, you know, you're at home and you're making it yourself. And I describe cheese as the sludge that delays nutrient absorption. It moves really, really fast, really, really slow through our digestive system. We've taken insulin for this. We expect the insulin to work for the carbohydrate and believe it or not, pizza is not terribly high in carbohydrates, period. Um, and what we're accounting for is that the, uh, the carbohydrate is going to raise our blood sugar. But oftentimes what we see is that we start dropping low when we're eating a really high fat diet because our insulin is not getting that glucose fast enough. So we start dropping low because all of that saturated fat is in the way is it is right in the, in, in the line of fire where insulin wants to go talk about traffic, trying to get to that bloodstream. And from there, we, we might actually go low and have to treat that low blood sugar. And all of a sudden we'll see this rise like super high out of nowhere afterwards, because we finally moved that sludge through our digestive tract. So, um, the uh, glucose can go where it needs to go. And then we end up chasing our tail at that point. But just as I had said, where we've got this 20 to 25 gram maximum for protein per meal, if we blow that up and we're eating, you know, we've got somebody that's, that's going after this 10 ounce steak you, you better believe your blood sugar is going to do something you didn't expect afterwards. And what becomes more evident is for someone that goes from a meat eater to a very low meat eater, or even a no meat eater is they're going to see evidence of that. They're really going to see something change in the process of decreasing their animal products. So, um, to make friends when I, in, in the plant-based world is I start wherever somebody is and I say, we're going to talk about fiber. We're going to talk about these plants. We're going to get the low inflammation get the anti-inflammatory foods in your system as fast as we can. Let's see what we can do with your A1C. And it gives somebody confidence. Let's see something start to change first. And when they start to realize how the nutrition correlates, how these plants have a positive correlation with their digestive system, their blood sugar management, they get excited about it. And the closer they get to being all in to going plant-based. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing, the work you, you do to, to help spread this message. Um, uh, applying this to the population not living with uh, uh, type 1 or type 2, um, the body acts the same, right? I mean, you, you obviously have an uh, endogenous form of insulin or not, um, but, but we can all assume that actually what you're describing is happening in our own bodies and we can all remember in our uh, at least you know those of us who once ate animal products right like the the highs and lows of your energy level right are obviously like a function of your body working through those traffic jams and then getting the spike of of sugars into your bloodstream and then you know bottoming out as you're you know mm -hmm. so um as you're flooding your blood with with that insulin to deal with it uh so 
so one, I'm, I'm at, that's a, that is a question. I want to confirm, right. That, that it is the same sort of biological process and we can all learn from that to say, you know, really the optimal way of, of eating it, you know, again, it sounds like, um, you know, is, is trying to reduce saturated fat. It's, it's finding that optimal level of, of, um, protein. And of course it's, it's, uh, high fiber, high anti-inflammatory, lots of slow plant-based carbohydrates. Not unsurprising probably to our audience, but I'm, I'm right. uh, re- repeating it to make sure I'm on the same page. Yeah, yes, absolutely. And I just describe that as high nutrient value. It's the quality of your nutrition, you know, coming off of VegFest where we're looking at, you know, the vegan cakes and the cupcakes and vegan fried chicken. And like my big question that I started out with my presentation is, are we really, really just trying to replace the standard American diet and veganize it? Because that is not what we need to be doing. That is, that is not the direction we need to be headed in is, is letting companies like Tyson turn all of their stuff into the plant-based version of their slaughterhouse. That's not what we're going for. We're going for whole plant foods here and we need to learn how to um, simplify this. And, and there's so many great books out there, you know, two, 300 pages long teaching us about eating plant-based with lots of recipes and lots of explanation. And I give them all the credit in the world because they've got great research in there, but I think it takes two pages to go plant-based and one is a grocery list and two is what to do with those foods. And that's where we start. And that will work for everybody because we start with nutrient value. So if someone says, I no way am I giving up whatever animal products say, well, that's not my job. My job is to help you heal. And we're going to start with the healing. So tell me more about what you're trying to do with your body. And I'm going to help you find solutions. And my goal is that gradually there's a subtraction of animal product and there's an addition of nutrient value foods. They get closer and closer and closer to more and more and more plants. And I know that the animal products are, are diminishing. And that's kind of a miracle in itself because I let someone choose on their own. That's where we're, how we're going to get somewhere is letting someone make the choice on their own. Um, yeah, no, again, it's, it's, it's beautiful to imagine that, that transition. Cause I know what kind of an effect just in my own family and extended family's lives. Um, a, a couple follow-up questions out of curiosity. Um, and again, we're, I think now broadly speaking, um, about nutrition in general, because we've just defined that, uh, we're all going through these processes. It's just that those living with, uh, Diabetes are probably just a lot more aware because <laughs> they they've got Very. the numbers to see it, and the rest of us mm-hmm. are, um, you know, blessed to to not have to care, unfortunately. <laughs> um, although I have uh, worn a continuous glucose monitor, and those are becoming more and more in vogue uh, for those not living with diabetes. That you know, uh, I encourage people mm-hmm. to to look at this stuff because it will make you. Mm-hmm you know, that one glass of wine, all of a sudden you find out like has a tremendous impact on your body and you can see that, uh, you know, yeah, they're anyway. super cool. They're super cool, but they can cause a lot of anxiety. I, I have just, one on my stomach right now, you know, cause you can see what your body's doing all the time, but you have to realize that this is nature. It is nature for your blood sugar to rise and fall by how much is what we need to, to look at. But um, it's not unnatural to have blood sugar that rolls. That's, that's totally nature. (laughs) 
Well, uh, yeah, I'll leave that for another conversation. Um, like I said, my my cousin's actually looping between, uh, uh, yeah, he's got more devices on him than than uh, I think is is fun to to think about. But anyway, um, so so saturated fat is bad, um, within reason, I imagine. Uh, but what does that mean for all of our favorite food, the avocado? Um, does your body still find that same traffic jam that you've described with, uh, plant-based sources of saturated fat, cashews, avocados, like all my favorite things? Certainly can, um, in excess. So what the research will tell us is, is really low fat, like uh, physicians committee for responsible medicine. They've been looking at the effects of a, of a low fat vegan diet for people type two since like the eighties. Um, they've been front runners on this and, you know, this should be taught in every clinic across America and why it's not, I have no idea because their clinical values would be amazing if they did, but, um, it's out there, it exists. And yeah, it's, it's on the low end. I think it needs to be individualized. Certainly, um, nuts, seeds, avocado, those are our healthy plant fats. There's a lot of families in there. There's a lot of different nuts. There's a lot of different seeds. Um, avocado is pretty straightforward, but for most people, we have to figure out what their balance is. Eating two avocados a day is probably not going to give us the best results, but it's a start. Um, so we don't, you know, aim for perfection, but we're going to aim for what are your sources of fat right now? Let's get you moving towards the plants. And then from there, we discover what that threshold is going to be, um, of what is going to create the the, the best change, but also the compromise. If someone says I eat two avocados a day and there's no way I'm giving them up. say, so, well, let's look at your nuts and seeds. You know, if you're fulfilling, getting that omega-3 and you're doing okay, um, how much fat are we talking? And I do find that people that eat plant-based, they, their fat intake is like, can be like 40% of their overall calorie intake. And for reversing type two diabetes, for reversing pre-diabetes, we want to be like down into the 20% of calories range, if not lower at times, I don't take people any lower than 20%. Um, at least if I do look at their food records and make that assessment, I try not to let that become too obsessive. Um, but I just want to move the needle. Let's just see the blood sugar start to improve by going more plant-based and we can get knit more nitpicky with the fats if we have to, but I'm in diabetes. I want to be very sensitive to not creating an obsession with food. And being very, you know, having this really careful, healthy mindset with what I'm choosing is helping my body. I don't have to become obsessed with it. I now understand and can predict what this type of carbohydrate that digest slowly is going to do for me or the fat or the protein and stay in that really positive, healthy place instead of breaking it down to something that's just like gets kind of minute after a while. Um. Yeah, I get that. And uh, like I said, another conversation with my own manic obsession around numbers. Uh, <laughs> I can only imagine if I had the detailed, you know, continuous glucose monitor, you know, and everything else that, uh, yeah, it's, it, it can be um, a negative for sure. Uh, I want to make sure to talk a little bit about the, um, call it the, the system um, cause I know that's something that, that your book focuses on and something that you have experienced as a patient and as a professional, uh, in, in great detail. And I want to, want to hear your thoughts. Um, but real quick, uh, plant-based analogs. So your pea protein burgers and sausages and, you know, your, um, 
uh, yeah, any, any, whatever they're derived from, let's set, let's set that aside from like the cellular agriculture, right? Which again is doing amazing things um, for animals and, and to lessen the suffering of animals, obviously a huge win for the environment uh, when those become more commercially viable. But at the same point, like they are, it is meat, right? It just so happens to be grown in a giant tank. Uh, <laughs> um, and so great for the environment, great for the animals, but probably the same net negative on your health, unfortunately. Um, pea protein, I would love to hear your stance or, you know, I, I keep saying pea protein, but, you know, there are a million different, you know, uh, chicken alternatives and um, the like, many of them are derived from pea protein or a similar. Um, how do you think about those in, in the scheme of uh, a healthy, balanced diet? I am a huge fan of pea protein. Um, we have one of like the biggest suppliers here in Minnesota, super responsible, super conscious. Um, it is high quality protein. I'm also a huge fan of soy. Um, but what's also we're seeing in that field is uh, protein being hydrolyzed from cucumber, from pumpkin seed. This is an amazing work in food science that's happening here to use these vegetables, to use this protein, to create something that is complete. What a way to use plants, right? From an organic source. And we're creating a supplement from that. And there's lots of people that can benefit from that supplementation. And I don't see anything wrong with that as long as we're fulfilling um, our nutrient needs with food. On top of that, if we have to add something else, we certainly can. There's not a lot extra that we need that we can't get from our foods. But when it comes to athletes, there are a lot of them that just can't eat anymore. <laughs> you know, um, I live with a, a, a long distance cyclist and he needs a lot of food. And I think there's a lot of people like him. And I've even talked to um, teenagers that are playing three sports, they're super busy. And these, these kids just can't pack in another 500 calories at the end of the day when they need it. And that's where we start looking at some kind of supplementation to keep their energies lifted. So there needs to be a purpose for something like that, but um, there's good quality product out there for sure. Cool. Um, so yeah, you, uh, before we run out of time, I, I would love to hear your thoughts on uh, the system, call it, uh, take your pick, What you know, if that's medical <laughs> education, maybe that's even uh, uh, the education you received on your path to becoming a, an RDN. Um, and, and then of course we look at, you know, the great work of like something like PCRM and, and trying to push this um, these new insights and this new clinical evidence that, you know, all of us obviously have heard of, agree with, you know, uh, the folks listening to this interview probably wouldn't be listening to this interview if they didn't have some uh, leaning towards this, but, but what it was your experience? Uh, what's it going to take to change? You know, what, what do you think is going to be that straw that, that uh, breaks the camel back? Cause it's just, you know, going to require mm -hmm. a lot of suffering and a lot of death until we finally get to a point where like, oh, well, because, you know, it's easy to imagine that there are uh, pharmaceutical lobbies out there who want this or that or the other. Um, but at the end of the day, like, you know, if the evidence is there to lower someone's A1C and the like, like, I mean, there's not really like a high fat lobby. You know, like, so, so tell me why, why do you think it's been slow to change and what's going to make the change? 
Oh, I'm glad I took a drink of water before this one. This is the best question you can ask. I feel like these are things I've been holding inside of me for decades is part of why I wrote this book is to talk about this. Um, you know, as, as the straw, it's been broken. It's been broken for a long time. And the, the exponential rise in chronic disease that we have had going on since the 70s coincides with the rise in agriculture, coincides with the rise in pharmaceuticals. They are all connected. Um, but here's where I had proof. I thought I was a study of one for a long time, um, that my experience was miserable. And then I went plant-based and it saved my life. Is there anybody else out there like that? And slowly but surely I began to learn more, found the right research to read and had the science to back it up. But I've been fortunate over the last three years to travel the country talking about type one diabetes with um, exercise or nutrition. And in that process where I have an audience afterwards, I end up with a line of people that have questions. I get to sit around and, and talk a whole bunch. And I started meeting people all over the country of all ages with type one diabetes who said, my experience is terrible too. Here's what happened to me. And I would hear about the education gaps. I would hear about their fear, their shame, not feeling heard, um, being told that their doctors will not prescribe CGMs to them, that they don't get a choice in what insulin they use. And the access is terrible. These story, I would, it would take me days, if not weeks to let this down as this sensitive person that I am to take all of this in. And that's what really helped me realize that, okay, I'm going to keep writing. I am going to keep trying to get this book out there because now I'm realizing I am not alone. And what I've come to really believe in some of the studies that I have had one-on-one -on -one with people is that I've worked with people all over the, the country um, with type one or not. And it's not just people with type one that have had experiences with their doctors where they don't feel heard, or it could be an education process in that system where they felt like this is wrong and this doesn't work for me. Why aren't they helping me do anything different? I, I feel so bad and I, I feel like a failure every time I go in, my numbers aren't good. It's my fault. And it is not the patient's fault whatsoever. There's something else going on. It's a lack of time. It's a lack of personalized attention. It is a patient who feels like they don't have anywhere else to go or no one else to turn to. And that is where this serious lack of connected problem is. And um, having gotten referrals from primary care doctors, I think the plant-based dietitians, particularly plant-based dietitians, and that doesn't mean vegan. It means, like I said, we're working on a spectrum here to try to teach people how they can heal. They need to be on the front line of primary care, family practice, internal medicine. And we need to step up and be able to call practitioners out for using the type of language that puts somebody down, non-compliant, suffering, non-adherent, you're a diabetic, get better. That's how we feel sometimes when we leave our clinic. They've been we've been shamed and we don't wanna go back. Why would we wanna talk ever again mm. if that's how they're gonna make us feel? Now we end up in this cycle of shame, of feeling like we're failing and like we're not going anywhere. And that's where I realized in my, it's my nature to just say, you don't get to tell me who I'm going to be. I didn't grow up like that. Um, that's it. I'm standing up for myself now. And the first thing I'm going to do is start educating myself and learning on my own how to help me. And that's where patients need to take responsibility as well is to stop taking the crap. We also give it to ourselves too. Nobody gets to make you feel small at all. But if you are doing it to yourself, we've got to start working on that positive mental attitude, 
And positivity goes a really, 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 really long way. Um, like messages from the centenarians, you know, these people that lived to 100, their big thing is purpose and getting the stress off and having community and seeking something in life to be fulfilled for no matter who you are, type one, thyroid disease, celiac disease, cancer, don't lose your purpose and find, seek a reason to use your life for the better. And for me, my, my situation now is to kind of like pay all this forward. Um, it's like, clearly you can see my passion here <laughs> in yeah. um, changing this. Um, so what's it going to take? I think, yeah, your, your passion is palpable and more and more people like you uh, will certainly be a factor. Uh, but again, your, your closeness, both as a patient and as a practitioner, um, makes me think you're one of the smarter people that we can ask to say, like, what, what, what's it going to take to change the system? Well, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty daring. I'm willing to say if I'm, I'm uh, making a mistake or if I don't know something as well as I should. But having grown up as a patient and then meeting all of these people, you know, I don't need to have a, a white paper necessarily to say that this is, this is the human factor here that we're messing with and people are not getting to where they need to be because they don't believe in themselves. What is the source of that? And on top of it, the food that's going into the body isn't making it any easier to have the energy to pursue being healthy. So yeah, what comes first? Um, I think there's huge opportunities in uh, school, uh, the training to become a dietitian for one thing. Um, something called medical nutrition therapy is what's taught. It's really focused in the inpatient system with dietitians. But the way I practice nutrition therapy is this uplifting conversation. It's to help someone learn how to take care of themselves on their own through food, through exercise, through a healthy example. Um, I have to work on it too. And I'm willing to tell my patients that, I, you know, I had a huge piece of cake yesterday. Well, I really had to work through that, but you know what? The rest of the time I got up and I ate better today because I feel better when I do that. So this is how we work with it. You can literally have your cake and eat it too. If the majority of the time, you are treating your body in a way that is beneficial and efficient and you won't feel guilty about it. So removing some of that guilt, but medical school, there is very little nutrition training. So I don't know where doctors are giving nutrition advice and I don't know why they do it. And I'm just going to say that point blank, you know, Dr. Gregor is different. Dr. Bernard is different. These guys are studying something incredibly important and they've got the research to show it up. But I get a lot of people referred to me that have gotten advice from doctors, personal trainers, Instagram. And I'm just, I mean, that's really what does that, that that's what does me in is, is hearing what they've been told to do. And they're so confused and they're upset and it doesn't work. And then they're afraid to talk to dietitians after they go through things like this. So, Hey, we've got doctors out there that will say, I understand you want to lose weight. Is that what I'm hearing you say? How about we work on your blood sugar too? Would, would you like to, to work on this together and, and improve this? Get someone excited, you know, as, as a doctor to say, I think we could help you, but I want you to see my dietitian. Can we agree on that? And then I'll see you in a couple of weeks. Then you've got a team. You can't do this without a team. You need a care team. Everybody deserves to have that care team. If it's a psychologist, dietitian, diabetes educator, um, your doctor, your personal trainer, get a team together that is on the same page. We are not on the same page enough right now in healthcare and our patients are suffering because of it. It'll be an interesting few decades to, to come. 
And uh, we can only hope that your vision for the future <laughs> of our health system uh, wins out because unfortunately we're, we're heading in a direction of uh, a, a very, very sick um, population. And uh, I think I haven't looked at it recently, but, you know, I saw that uh, at least at some point in the last couple of years that the, uh, our future generation life expectancy has actually gone down. Um, and that was pre pandemic. So yeah, that as a society, I think should be the, the sort of wake up call that we need to say like, wait, wait, like progress is actually halted or reversed. We're going the wrong direction. Our kids' lives will be shorter and sicker. We need to do something. So, um, yeah, I say all that to say thank you for for fighting the the good fight to, for writing <laughs> this you. this book and and getting your your truth out there. It's called Type One uh, Determination, and uh, um, people can find you at uh, LP uh, Nutrition Consulting dot com. I think you also said Type One Determination dot com. Was it? Yeah. So it's a T One Determination dot com. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Um, and just Googling my name, Minnesota dietitian. However, it's pretty easy to find me um, at T1 Determination on Twitter also, but um, I'm not in love with Twitter. So don't expect me to say much on there. Boy, is that a negative space. Whew, Twitter <laughs> when it comes to nutrition. Um, but I have a lot of fun on Facebook. I got a lot of goofy friends that have a ton of fun um, with me on there. And, and part of my book and part of who I am is knowing that I I'm alive with chronic disease and I'm doing really well. So even if we do have a diagnosis, yeah, it's go time to, to get healthy, whether we're looking at prevention or living with it, but it can be done, but we have to make some decisions about doing it. Like now it's time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Per- personal responsibility. Yeah. Taking an active role in your health. These are all the things that we certainly uh, agree on, but um, again, Lauren, thank you so much for spending a little bit of your time. Um, every, you know, one of these podcasts, I, I, I feel like we're just scratching the surface of, you know, the biology and then, you know, uh, the, the mechanics literally with uh, continuous glucose monitors and a little bit of the system. We have so much more to talk about. So hopefully we'll, we'll be able to invite you back and, and spend a little bit more time on all of these topics. Yeah, cool. Thanks, Matt. Yeah, um, audience, I hope you had a good time today and you learned a few things that you can pass on. My goal is always for, for people who are listening to me to be able to teach something to someone close to them as well and um, always available by email. So um, thank you. Thank you, Lauren. <laughs>